Good morning. Glad that you are here with us today. It's going to be a really good day. I think that you will enjoy uh, the ministry time and uh, the teaching and think that the Lord is here. Um, we were watching in the doorway right here during worship. What a powerful presence of the Holy Spirit that's here with us today. I'm encouraged by that, man. I know. Yeah, yeah. Let's, yeah, let's thank the Lord for that. Kathy, thank you for the word. Just, I just all fit together so nice. And Chris and I just, um, you know, we're going to teach together today. And it was just really powerful for the two of us just to have that presence of the Lord. I'm sure you experienced the exact same thing that we did too. And uh, Isaac, wow, I don't know where you went to, but there, there we go. And Hunter, thank you so much. And just well done, you guys. Okay. Uh, hey, I'm starting it off today. I, I need to give you some information of a meeting that happened to me earlier this week. Uh, it was an unscheduled meeting. Our builder and then our project manager, who's the liaison between the bank and the builder and us, uh, had asked for a meeting, and the meeting um, was about um, uh, it was about something else. And so we went over that, and then when they got done, they said, hey, can we talk real quick about where we are with the finances? And I said, sure, what do you guys want to know? They see a copy of our finances, that's part of the deal, what comes in every week, how much of it is for building, how much is left, they're, they're fully aware of all those things. So the builder said, John, uh, most uh, owners at this point have all the money in place, and you guys don't. So what's the plan? And I said, God knows. Uh, <laughs> it wasn't quite that like that. But I, I, I said, you know, this is, uh, the agreement was that we would go along and pay cash as we were able to do it for our portion of it. And um, so the idea uh, was, uh, Pastor, we, we need to know. Um, they've got to pay their people, Right. And we're still within our, our time constraint. But um, here's what they said to me. In 30 days, you've got to show us where it's at. After that, if you don't have it, then they're, you know, they're getting nervous. Is that the right word to say? So I said to the guy, well, when, when, when's the panic button? And he said, yesterday. Uh, so, yeah, exactly. Uh, I was, we were meeting about something else, but I think that's really what the meeting was, was about. Now... Um, I, so look at me, right? Not nervous, not browbeating it. This is not my project. This is not my building. This will not be the place that I'm moving my family into, right? Uh, those things are already taken care of. This is our project. And really above that, this is the Lord's project. The Lord called for this. The Lord put this together. I have never stood up here and said, hey, we have a time limit on this, but at this moment in time, I am forced to say that um, on March the 6th is our deadline to have our, this $2 million is what we, we've got to have. Um, and so, folks, I don't know how the Lord will do this. I do believe it's within the house. I do believe that. But I don't want you to feel like I'm standing up here and saying to you, if you haven't given, you need to give. Or if you've given, you need to give more. I'm going to say, would you just pray about this? And will you ask the Lord what you're supposed to do? And will you just do what the Lord tells you to do? That's all that I'm asking. I know that the Lord has led this project. It has been supernatural. 
on December, uh, it was the 17th on our anniversary in 2020. We started the project December the 26th, the fundraising part of the project, the day after Christmas to start the, the project, right? It felt like the Lord told me to do that. And you know it has been supernatural. What our church has done and what we, uh, the position that we're in truly is supernatural. But before I stood up in front of you, Chris and I for our anniversary had gone up to the mountains and we had spent the night. And when I was there, I knew that that next weekend I would be standing in front of you and beginning to the fundraising portion of it. And of course, the natural part of that, you know, that it's a lot for a person to have to be the one that, that stands up and do this. And so I went to the Lord and I just said, Father, I, I see clearly what we're supposed to do. Prophetically, you've spoken this. Our church is ready for this. Lord, I, you know, uh, I believe, but help my unbelief. Anybody else ever struggle with that? So this was the word of the Lord. I know you can't read it from there, but I'm not, I'm not making something up. I wrote this down on the stationery at the hotel that we were staying. Um, and this was the word of the Lord to me. There will be more money than you can move. Two bags, meaning multiplication. God gave me this word almost immediately after telling him, listen what I told him, this is the one thing I'm having the most trouble with in this project. He knows, I believe it and I receive it. And I believe that um, what the two bags represented was that he would do it in two different parts. And we saw the first part come through in truly a supernatural way. This church raised $4 million in a six-month time period, and it was just, it was incredible what the Lord did. And I explained last week why we are in the delta that we are in right now uh, between what inflation has done in the project. I think you probably saw every American family is paying an additional $275 a month right now because of inflation. Multiply that times the amount of dollars in a project. So we've got an inflationary issue that hit us that could not be accounted for when we started the project. Understandable, correct? Thank you all seven of you for, like the rest of you, I don't know if I'm going to say yes or no. It depends on where you go after this. So we've got the inflationary uh, project in it, the, uh, what we're doing with AV and lights. And I had those guys, there was A, B, and C. A was the very best you could get. B was in the middle, and C is nice, will get us by. I forced them to take the C option, um, which Chris has been more than gracious to not come to me and say, well, I'll give you C, but it's not going to be great. Chris has been like, I'll give you everything that you want in order to save the money. But it was still more than a million dollars for that, that, that part of the project. And we're being very conservative uh, with what we're doing uh, in that situation right there. And um, I, I should have remembered, I forgot the line. Oh, thank you, David. Thank you, business administrator. You just paid for yourself. Um, <laughs> the city forced us, and I don't mean that in an ugly way, but it, we had no, I couldn't delay it. I could not get around it because we're changing the usage of the building. It was a, a really large call center at one time, and that's what it was zoned for because we're changing the usage to a church. Now, we're not doing anything to the inside of the building that changes, like, the structure, but this is how a city updates their codes. When you come in and someone else buys a building and changes any use on it, then the city can update all the codes. The building's 20 years old, so they're updating 20 years' worth of code. One of the things that they did to us, we had to dig six feet around and six or seven feet down around every of the major posts that go into the ground to support the building and then pour concrete 
all the way around that just because that's what they wanted done. And we're not changing how the building will be used. We're just changing that it's going to be a church in there rather than a call center. And that was a half million dollars uh, that was put on us. See, the architect can't draw that, and the builder doesn't know that. That's after you get it all done and you send it to the city, and then the city decides, here's what we want, and until you don't get your permit to build until you agree to that. You, do you understand how that works? And I know you're thinking, well, you should fight that. Guys, we do not have deep enough pockets to fight for four or five years, ending up paying it anyway while we sit inside of a gymnasium. It's just not, it's not worth it. I can promise you this, there is not a big enough snowfall that will cause that building to fall when you're inside that, that building. You will be safe. No wind, no rain, no winter snow can stop us, baby. No, no, baby. So if you don't get that, you didn't grow up in the 70s and 60s. Okay, now, um, so I just, uh, in all sincerity and in just all honesty, I am laying it before you. What it really means, I'll give you the timeline. If March 6th is the deadline, that means that we have three weekends starting this weekend. And I talked about it last week. I think this weekend, we had about 25,000 that came in last week, which is, it's, that's nice. That's a, and it was direct response to me standing up. It's tremendous. But the truth of the matter is, $25,000 is not going to get it done. You just have to say it that way. I believe financially that the Lord has promised that he would do this. So, Pastor, if you don't get the money, what will you do? I don't know right now. Aren't you glad that you're not the preacher right now? Right? I don't know right now. Uh, we've put, you know, what we have into the project. And um, I, I, believe, I believe that it's inside the house. That's exactly how I'm going to say it. I'm not trying to browbeat anybody. You don't feel that way when I talk, do you? Somebody sent me a letter and said they felt that I do that. I, I don't feel that I do that. And if you do, I'm sorry that I would never want to come across that way. That's not my heart or how I ever try to approach these. But I do feel like what people say they love about me is that I am willing to be transparent and I am willing to be real. So I'm telling you where it's at. Of course, the temptation for me was to start, you know, panic. But God's going to do what God's going to do, whether I stand in worship or whether I shake like this. So I'm going to stand and worship the Lord and watch His goodness in our project. So... I'm asking you, please pray about it. Please be a part of it. If you want details, I'm willing to sit with you and talk. If you want to go over and see it, you haven't seen it, uh, I'll give you a personal tour of the building and show you. The drywall is, you know, once it's, I mean, if you haven't seen it, you need to go see the building. That would be enough in order to encourage you with this. But I think so many times we hear these things and we think someone else what if the Lord is saying, it's not someone else, it's you? Would you consider that? Would you stretch your faith? And would you partner with us? And would you be a part of this if the Lord tells you to? You're like, yes, if the Lord tells me. This is the Lord talking to me. <laughs> so, <clears throat> trust the Lord and bless the Lord. I cannot wait. Guys, in about 15 weeks, 14 weeks, we will be in our new facility worshiping the Lord. Praising the Lord, giving Him glory and honor. Joining in an opportunity to fulfill vision and mission. And so, Father, I will always say yes to what you want us to do. I will always say yes, God. I will always say yes. Father, this is a church that it, we welcome your activity. We welcome the presence of the Holy Spirit. We welcome people who need, 
who need the presence of the Holy Spirit. People in this room, but people who are out there right now, who because Jubilee is taking a step of faith, they are going to experience Jesus. Maybe never having done it before, they're going to come into the kingdom because of the decisions we make today. And God, we say yes to that. We say yes to that. We say yes to young people, Father God, who will be called to ministry. And that, Lord, they will lead the church in very dark and desperate times in the future. Let us be the church that helps raise that up, Father God, to carry this gospel light forward, Father. Lord, at the time when even in our our own country, Lord God. It seems so like we look at it and sometimes we don't recognize our country. But what we do recognize is the church. The church is safe and the church is strong and the church is going forward. And when the enemy comes in like a flood, you raise up a standard. Let Jubilee be a standard in the middle of a flood, Father God. Push back darkness, Lord. Let your light shine. And use us, God, in part of that. And I pray it now in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. Thank you for listening to me, Pastor Jacob. Thank you, Pastor John. Give it up for Pastor John. <laughs> Thank you. Well, hello, friends. How are we doing? I hear there's a game today. All right, show of hands. Are the Rams going to win? Oh, show of hands, Bengals. Show of hands. Who's just going to watch the commercials? Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Well, we want to welcome you. My name is Pastor Jake. I get the pleasure to serve here on the team and want to welcome you if it's your first time here. We know coming to a new church can be different. You're trying to kind of find how things work and we want to help put, put you at ease with that. And we've got a thing we call First Five. Our First Five is a five-minute meetup that we provide after every service. So if you got to head to the Super Bowl party right after. You can even come next week if you want, but it's located right over there. Um, your left, my right, uh, and it's just a five-minute meetup with some of the pastors. We'd love to answer any questions, give you some information, and then you get some free goodies. So uh, everyone loves free swag, right? That's always good. So come and join us uh, right after the service. We'd love to meet with you. Uh, if you're wanting to find out a way to get more connected to the life of the church, one of the ways that we give you is through our newsletter. If you haven't signed up for it, it's really easy. You can go to our web, uh, website, jfc.org forward slash newsletter, and you can sign up for that. It's a weekly uh, newsletter that we send out with uh, events that are coming up, uh, message series, all the good stuff. So we don't inundate you with a ton of stuff. We just want to keep you posted with what's going on. A lot of you, too, uh, enjoy the teaching, right? One way to uh, continue and take it even further is by taking notes with that. And we provide some easy ways that you can do that. Uh, you can go right through the app is probably the easiest way, and you can fill in the blanks right there. You can also go to jfc.org forward slash live. And then if you have the Bible app, the U version, you can also find it through there. Uh, one of those three ways will, will get you right on your mobile phone, iPad, whatever's easier for you. So, uh, Here at Jubilee, we don't pass the traditional offering plate, but we do give you three ways that you can give. Two of those are convenient and digital. And one of them uh, that we have is the offering boxes located as you exit and out in the foyer as well. Uh, as always, we want to say thank you for your, your generosity. Jubilee has always been a generous place, and we love you and thank you for that. It allows us to minister and to do what we do, our heart, our passion, uh, what, we, what we, you know, get up for early in Sunday mornings is to see all generations, empower all generations to experience Jesus, and, and that includes you. So would you join me as we pray? And we've got a short video we want to show you. Father, thank you for what you're doing in the life of the church here. 
Thank you that today is not just a typical Sunday, God, but every Sunday is an opportunity for you to do something special. God, as we get prepared to hear from your word, would you open our hearts, open our ears. God, bless the church as we give. God, bless the church and bless the giver. In your name we pray, everyone said, amen. Who said, I love you first? Who apologizes first after a fight? Who's the messy one? Who is most cheerful in the morning? Who is most like their mother? Who likes holiday traditions the most? Who's the spender? Who's right the most? (laughs) That's so awesome. I just want to welcome all of you here. We're so excited to any opportunity we have to do anything together. We're excited to do it. So um, I just want to pray because we really have been praying all week that there might be a portion of this message for you that might change your life, might change your marriage and your future. And we just want to pray that your hearts would be open and that you'd be able to hear and listen to what God has in store for you. So Jesus, we just thank you for this opportunity we have to teach together. Lord, I just pray that your word would speak loud, the places where people need to hear that their ears and heart would be open. Thank you, God, for this opportunity to do this, and we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, So the series is called The Way Back to Relationship. If you remember, we're going to stick with that theme for the first quarter of the year. Uh, The Way Back to God was January, February, The Way Back to Relationship. And then we'll go into uh, The Way Back to the Cross as we begin to talk about Easter Uh, in the next little while. But today, Chris and I are going to take Ephesians chapter 5, which we believe is a blueprint for marriage, right? And so if you were here last week and you heard me say, like, that is what we teach, what we believe, I also talked about that there's more. You can aspire to even more, but I'm not sure that that didn't, and I was worried about this. Is that going to come across as uh, I'm downplaying Ephesians 5? And so the importance of it is that I'm going to we're going to teach on it this weekend to show you. We, we don't think it's like, you know, some negative thing. We think it's, we live yeah, this yeah. and we know what it's done for us. And so that's why, and that's who we're trying to talk to this yeah. morning. So uh, Ephesians chapter 5, most people start in verse 22, but 21 is actually the beginning of the context of this verse. So I'm going to read that as part of uh, 21 through 28. So um, Paul is writing <clears throat> and the context is to Christian marriages. So it's not written to men and to women in general. It's written in in specific to husbands and wives. So that's important as you read this to realize these are two roles that are being said. Husbands, you do this. Wives, you do this. It's not being said uh, men, you do this. Women, you do this. It, It gets into a specific husbands and wives. So, but he begins this way because this is like the undergirding, the um, the priority the establishment, the foundation of being able to walk out the roles. So uh, Paul writes, and further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So before he goes into husbands and wives, 
He is teaching all people, you should have this attitude as believers. Be willing to submit to one another because you love Jesus. You care for Jesus. You follow Jesus. So the way that we treat each other is predicated on our relationship with Jesus, right? Instead of blowing up at somebody, instead of losing your temper, instead of cheating somebody, instead of being rude to somebody, cruel to somebody, cold to somebody, we have to think we are followers of Christ and that should change everything, including how we interact with each other. You agree with that? Amen. Okay. Then he changes it suddenly and goes into the prerogative of husbands and wives. So this is verse 22. He starts with wives because that's where most of the trouble is. For wives... That's funny. Chris just said it is for you now. Um, (laughs) So listen, I'm teasing. Um, uh, And this is one of those cases, I do believe a lot of times when the Bible... Like uh, with the fruit of the Spirit, love and joy and peace and patience. I think that he uses love first, and I think that there's a reason that love, like, is, is when everything else is gone, love remains. Yes. So in that particular scripture, there is a rhyme and a reason why love comes first. But here, I don't think it's like, women, you do this, and then men will be able to do it. In fact, if I was going to say how this works, they're both symbiotic. They have to work with each other doing their part. But I do believe that... Uh, He just, I don't think that there's an order like I'm talking to wives first and then the husbands. I think he just started with wives. I don't think it's uh, an imperative for wives to go first, right? He's just talking to wives in this uh, particular case. So wives, this means submit to your husbands like you do to the Lord. So that's the example. For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church, he is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ... So you wives should submit to your husbands in almost everything. I'm just seeing if you're paying attention. In everything. Husbands. This means love your wives. Say it one more time. Husbands. This means love your wives and then here's how. Just as Christ loved the church. And then it gives us this beautiful poetic way that Jesus loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or a wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. That's pretty powerful right there. It really is powerful. So what we're going to do is begin with husbands, not because we think that we're taking it out of order. I think in this case, they're both symbiotic, and for it to work, both people have to be doing what they want. But I want to start with husbands because I believe what Paul is describing here, he's describing that in a marriage, a wife has a particular role that she plays. And in a marriage, a husband has a particular role that he plays. And you don't use roles that you see on TV. You don't use roles that you saw your mom and dad do. You don't, you know, you don't read a book and they say, okay, here's the role. We want to do it. God is the author, the creator, the the one who came up with marriage. Excuse me. So we want to do it his way. That's the bottom line. Excuse me. So we're going to start with husbands. Husbands, love your wives. So real quick, we want to tell our story and not spend really a lot of time on this. But this is just, some of you have heard it before. Chris and I met when you were? I was 16. And I was 17. I was robbing the cradle. 16 and 17. We met at church. Um, 
we weren't, I wasn't going to church and I wasn't serving the Lord. Um, I actually wasn't living at home. Uh, I, had, I had emancipated myself. I was living in Louisiana. My folks had moved back to Colorado and I wanted to come home to see my brothers. I had been gone for about 11 months and my mom said, uh, if you come home, you have to go to church with us. And I, that was part of, that was prerequisite. So I said, okay, I'll go to church with you. Uh, that was all that was said. She was like, if I can get him to commit to that, I've got other things that I'm gonna, I'm gonna. <clears throat> so I come back home. I think it was on a Saturday night when I got in. Um, and, and then early, early the next morning, she woke me up and she said, hey, we're going to church. It's like, you know, seven o'clock. I'm like, mom, mass doesn't start till, can't we go to the 11 o'clock one? She goes, this isn't mass. This is a, a church and you're gonna enjoy this. And we're going to Sunday school. What the heck is Sunday school? So I, I get up, I get dressed. I am a kid of, this is uh, 1980 or 81, mm -hmm. 80, 81, somewhere in there. I'm a Rush fanatic. Uh, long hair. Yeah, super long hair, rebellious kid. I was, it was 1980 because I was wearing a Rush World Tour 1980 <laughs> with all three of the Rush guys <laughs> on the shirt. It was one of those baseball shirts. You remember those ones? So I show up to church. And the greeter at the church was a lady named Donna Hilgers. Which was my mom. Which is Chris's mom. And she said, oh, I've heard so much about you. And I'm like, uh-oh. Yeah. And she said, uh, how old are you? I tell her. She goes, let me take you down to your Sunday school class. And we're in this little tiny church over in Lakewood. We go down the stairs. Um, I mean, it's an old, old church. Moldy smelling in the basement. You know, just kind of like open the door. I look in the room. There's maybe only five or six kids yep. in there. But uh, lo and behold, I was at Sunday school. She was in the Sunday school <laughs> class. And I thought, Sunday school's not too bad. I... And so did I. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, who is this guy? And uh, so it, we just like, you know, I don't believe in love at first sight, but I do believe in lust at first sight. <laughs> and I fell head over heels in lust instantly and just like, wow. I fell head over heels in love. I did fall head over heels in love. Woo. So, <laughs> so we started to hang out and, um, you know, one thing led to another and we really did fall deeply yes. in love with each other. We both graduated um, in 82 and Chris um, was going away to Bible college. In yep. fact, did go away to Bible yep. college and I stayed here uh, for my first year of college. And when she came back home after the first year, we made one of those, um, you know, 18, 19 year old immature decisions. Can't live without you. If we're going to do this, let's do this together. And so we decided to get married at such a young age. Now, would I recommend that to everybody? Hmm. Hmm. We will celebrate our 39th anniversary in December. It was the greatest decision, yeah, yep. it was the greatest decision that we ever made. It produced five incredible children, yep. 13 incredible. incredible grandchildren. We have been in ministry for over 35, 36 yep. years and planted this church uh, 24 years ago this yep. year. Uh, would I recommend it? Without Jesus, no. Yep. Mm -mm. Without Jesus, I would say it's impossible. With Jesus, it's hard. Yeah. With Jesus, it's very difficult. But you say to yourself, well, you know, when, then when's the right time to get married? 
So I would say this, wait until you're 30. With Jesus, it's much easier. Without Jesus, it's still really hard. You decide, you know? I'm a proponent of it because I saw what it did for us, but I also know we had to overcome a lot more obstacles, yep. which is where this goes in this. Yep. So we both get married young. Yeah, we grew up. And um, yeah, we really grew, we grew up, up together. together. Yep. And our marriage, you know, we were in love. You know, what are you going to eat? Love. Where are you going to live? Love. Uh, what are you going to drive? Love. And that lasts for about 30 days. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wait. Hey, I want to say something real quick. I, um, I, he mentioned it. I was 16 when I met John, and I did fall head over heels. When, my, when I was 15 years old, my mom, uh, you know, all my friends had boyfriends and had a lot of them, and um, not, I didn't. And um, my mom, when I was 15 years old, prayed, wherever your husband is and whatever he's doing, Lord, we just pray that you're preparing his heart for me and that God has a plan for your life. And... Because of that, because of that prayer, I was able to wait for this man. I never had any other boyfriends. John is and has always been my only boyfriend. So if you are like, oh, I want a boyfriend so bad if you're a young person, listen, God knows. And if you are patient and can wait, God has a spectacular thing in store for you. My mom and dad, and my mom in particular, prayed too. In fact, it was my mom who said to me about Chris, Son, that's the kind of girl you want to marry. That's what my mom said to me. Words of wisdom. But unlike Chris, uh, she wasn't and lots my Lots of girlfriends. Yeah. <laughs> so he knew when he found me that I was the best, okay? <laughs> so we had been married. Um, you know, it was, it was uh, December of 83 that we got married. Um, and uh, I think... You know, we really did love each other, yeah. which I think everybody goes into marriage that way. But it was a short time that suddenly we found out that loving each other is not enough. Yeah. You've got to have a skill set too. Yeah. Love is important. Again, it's the thing that remains. It's what it has to be built on, right? But you've got to have a skill set too. And so we had to develop the skill set. And it, we were married just a couple of years before we really started running into trouble, a lot of arguments. Yeah. We were just so different. Anybody in here marry somebody completely different than you are? So different. Surprise, right? So different. So yeah. different. And of course, we would fight about those differences. The difference now is that we laugh and we yeah. celebrate the differences. Yeah. It's the strength of our marriage, not the bane of our marriage. Yeah. And so um, Chris had an uncle. His name was John Hilgers. John was involved in a marriage ministry called Nova Shalom. Some of you may be familiar with it. It's not around anymore, but it, it teaches some of the things that we're going to teach you today. And Uncle John looked at me and said, John, if you're going to make it, you really need to go to this, this class. And so we signed up for this small group that lasted, I think it was 16 or 20 weeks. It was quite the commitment. And um, all of a sudden we realized, wow, it's not enough to go into marriage with good intentions. Good intentions it's what you know the, the cliche is that the road to hell is paved with good intentions the road to a bad marriage is paved with good intentions good intentions won't get you there you've got to have a toolbox and God really does spell out how you can do it I just didn't I needed someone to help me see those things so we committed ourselves to this class and the Lord did a transformed transformed our marriage completely literally yep. literally yep. we learned the probably the greatest thing was I even talked about this last week that uh, can two people walk together 
unless they're agreed to do so. The power of agreement and how you find agreement. If you have agreement, the enemy cannot stop you. But he works to divide you so that there's no agreement so that you get stuck and then literally you go backwards. And agreement is everything. But my goodness, it's not enough to want to be in agreement. How do you get in agreement? How do you abide in agreement? How do you hold each other in that place? And so that was Nova Shalom. It was like a graduate class in marriage. We Zoomed. It was right during that time that the Lord reminded both of us of the call that was on our lives. We traded in everything that we were doing to preach the gospel and to sell out for that. And God was magnificent to us. How he helped us. How how we were promoted. How so many things happened so that eventually, uh, about 10 years later. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, about 10 years later, we had the opportunity to go to Resurrection Fellowship and start our, we were youth pastors and then associates and honestly learned so much about how to become senior pastors. But during that time, we, you know, I mentioned this to John this week when we were talking about setting every single time that we had an opportunity to go further with the Lord, rather that be in ministry or however that looked, the Lord challenged us that there's things in our marriage that had to change. And during that time, it was probably the most instrumental. The Nova Shalom was tremendous and it got us to the next level that we needed to be. We learned how to treat each other and we learned those roles. But then all of a sudden, here we are wanting to start a church. Um, It's before we had started and planned. And there were some things in our marriage that honestly, it was a crossroads. And we either had the opportunity to fix these things or it wasn't going to keep working. And um, the fact was, I know all of you, I don't like being vulnerable, um, but I'm going to just be vulnerable. There were things in our marriage. We never, you know, we had a great foundation. We never, never was abusive to each other. We never had, um, went outside the bounds of our marriage. We never, ever had any of that, thank goodness. God can do anything, though. Um, But we were at a crossroads with finances. And the finances were when John talked, when they asked about spending and stuff, he's like, raised his hand and pointed, like, it's him. I was doing the finances and I was not being honest with where our finances were at. And um, part of the reason that was is, first of all, I just wanted to make his life as easy as possible. And that's not what had to be. I needed to be honest with him. But the second part of it was that when I would talk to him about it, his response was harsh and like, hey, you need to fix this. And so I didn't know how to fix it because we weren't doing it together. We weren't in this together. I was doing things on my own. And because of that, it, it was wrecking me. And, um, and then God got a hold of us. Yeah. Um, and when we say that, of course, there's, um, you know, if you were sitting up here and you want to be vulnerable, you're willing to be vulnerable to a point, but you don't want to expose another person. You don't want to harm another person. You don't want, people always draw conclusions. Um, this is rhetorical, but everybody knows that, you know, one of the big threes in marriage that they break up over, that they have trouble, one of them is finances. Finance is a huge issue. Yeah. And even if you think, well, we've got finances down, if you feel like that and you're single, just get married. 
And you'll find out that not everybody thinks like you think. And in our problem, it was just what Chris said. She was doing the finances, and I was spending money. And so she would try to say to me, hey, you know, East is not meeting West. And then I would be mad at her, as foolish as that sounds. Can I just say this to you? Um, we think sometimes, men, that we use, you know, fear. Not, not like I'm going to harm you, but like, what the heck is wrong with you? Why can't you get this done? We use fear thinking that that's going to put somebody in line. Let me tell you what fear does. It pushes a person down. And then it makes them afraid to tell you the truth. I don't know if you understood what I... If you manage a company and you lead through fear, you'll be the last one to hear bad news. And that is a bad thing when you're leading a company. You need that people can trust that when we talk to you, he's not a volatile or she's not a, a, a crazy person. Someone that we can trust. And in marriage, that is, that is, oh, it's high. And this grew and this grew over time to the point where I came home one day and Chris had said in a note, we can't go any further. And I was devastated. We were on staff with David and Kathy. David was my best friend, and I let David know what was going on. Um, and the Melsons, you know, they had our back, but they also felt like our pastor needed to know what was going on. You know, what's funny is we always hide things, right? Hiding is usually the wrong thing to do. Things that stay in the dark, the enemy has a field day with it. You empower him. Things that you bring to the light, absolutely, it paralyzes the enemy when things yes. come to the light. And our, our survival mechanism is to keep everything in the dark so that no one knows what's going on, so that we still look good to everybody. But sometimes what God wants is to expose things to the light so you can get it fixed. And I know you're even sitting here today. Some of you might have been in the place that we were where you're just thinking you're hiding. You've got secrets and you think, oh, I've got to keep these things covered up. You even pray, God help me keep the secret. And well, you're praying wrong. Yeah, you and, would take it from there? Yeah. That I did. I prayed, Lord, first of all, I'm, I don't like not being honest. And the, my conscience was killing me. It was killing me. But second of all, I was like, ooh, I don't want the wrath. <laughs> and so, Lord, just, just please, Lord, let him never find out. The very morning that this all came to a head, I, I prayed to the Lord, okay, I'm done. This is it, Lord. You need to expose what is going on in our marriage, and we need to fix this because I can't do this anymore. And that was the very day, the ve 12 to 10 hours later, everything just came out and opened up. I ended up, I did leave him a note. I dropped the kids off at my mom and dad's. I went to a hotel, and I thought, ugh. Because that's just not me. I'm pretty uh, non-controvert. I don't like conflict. I don't. That was part of the other problem. And but I went to a hotel, and that was before the cell phone days. <laughs> John went to every hotel in Denver because <laughs> I didn't think he could find me, and he did find me. And that was the beginning of a very, very incredible 24 hours of life-changing decisions that made absolute the difference from that moment forward. I didn't feel like I had to hide anything from him. I didn't feel like that I had to be dishonest. I felt like God got a hold of him, and this is kind of what happened. So I think that men, a lot of time, can be guilty of this, that when everything kind of comes out, 
a man will say, I had no idea that it was this bad. I had no idea you were feeling that way. I had no idea we were at this place. Men can be oblivious. The men in the 11 o'clock service are ob oblivious, right? Not the 10, but, or the 9. Uh, so the, it all came out, it was at that point, we were having struggles with it. We were fighting about it. They were not pleasant fights. They were, they were horrible fights. It's like we had everything else yeah. going for us except this one thing. And during that time, what's funny, in 96, I had gone to the pastor and said, hey, I want to plant a church. And he looked at me and said, you're not ready. And I had to make a choice. He's my spiritual authority. Do I trust him? Or do I claim that, hey, I've got God on my side and you're wrong? Well, I realized that the Lord speaks through my pastor. And when he said you aren't ready, I thought he meant you're not ready because you're not a good teacher or you don't know how to do. What he meant was your marriage is not ready, John. And now I'm going to skip real quick. During the two-year hiatus that I I bowed my knee to my pastor and said, fine, I'll stay here and maybe I'll stay here forever. I didn't say I'll stay for two years. I just said, if you don't think I'm ready until you bring it up, I'm never going to bring it up again. I'm going to serve you and I'm just going to stay here. During that two years is when all of this is happening. And literally the promotion day, the dream that God gave us to come and plant the church here, when we got our marriage fixed. Not perfect. No. But no, fixed. No, still not perfect. But when we got it fixed, boom, the heavens opened. Yeah. And we have found in our life, every time God called us to a higher level, something had to happen in our marriage to get us to the higher level. So maybe you're sitting out there and you're thinking to yourself, why, why can't I just seem to get pat? Why can't I find the job? Why can't I get the financing? Why can't I What's get the... You're, maybe you're looking in the wrong area. Maybe it's not about coming up with a better resume or a better degree or even schmoozing with the right people. Maybe there's something in your marriage that would harm your marriage if God were to bless you with something. Maybe it would absolutely pull you apart. Always go back and check. This is the most important relationship that you have on the face of the earth. Even more than your kids. I'm going to say it one more time. This is the most important relationship you have on the face of the earth with another human. Even more than with your kids. This is the one. The Lord told me, you want to take care of my bride? You have to learn how to take care of your bride. How many pastors are out there? This is their love. And this gets neglected. How backwards is that? So apply it in your situation. I don't know why I'm going there right now. I do know why. Somebody needs to hear that. For time, we didn't mean to take that much time to tell our story. The only reason we tell it is that so many people put us on a pedestal and they think, ah, oh, you guys have it together. You guys probably just listen to worship music and pray all day long. <laughs> when your bills come in, you probably just lay them on the table, lay hands, and then money grows and... Or you can write on them, Jesus has use of us, and so please take care of this. We have all the things. We, yes. Yeah, all of the things. And it was a nasty, nasty time. It came to where it was either change or we need to divorce. That's what it came to. Not because we were miserable with each other, but because sin. 
had gotten in and it was killing my wife. It was killing her. And I didn't see it. So I find her at the hotel. Uh, her dad and I had gone looking for her. Her dad's actually the one that the Lord told him. Go. So we're living in Fort Collins. And Gary and Donna, Chris's mom and dad, lived in Denver. And that's where she had dropped the kids off. So I, I felt that she was somewhere in Denver. And I didn't know where to, you know, if you had to drive around all of Metro Denver. Where would you go? And so I started looking at a few hotels that we had stayed at before. And my father-in-law said, John, I, I think this is where she's going to be at. And he did not know. Mm, he did know not know. Else. Nobody knew it. It was a this. word of knowledge that yeah. the Lord gave my father-in-law. And we drove to the hotel and there was her car. And so my father-in-law said, what do you want to do? I said, hey, I need to go up and you just need to go. So that's hard for a dad to have to do. So I... From the bottom, I just told the clerk, um, I'm trying to find Chris Leach. And he looked on his thing. He said, I'll ring her room. And he rings and she picks up the phone. And I said, it's me. I said, can I come up? And she said, yeah. So I go upstairs. Um, and then this, it's funny because on the elevator, this anger is brewing in me. My go-to can be anger sometimes. So this anger is brewing in me, but I know that the Holy Spirit told me, you will kill her right now. It will be over if you go in that room with anger. So this is what I said. Instead of God, tell me what's going on with her. I prayed the most dangerous prayer that any man can pray. God, would you please show me my heart and my fault in this? Would you give me ears? that I could hear what my wife is saying and would you put a guard on my mouth so that I don't need to defend myself or interrupt her. So I walked in the room. Um, God did such a work. <laughs> he did such a work that that next morning uh, we went, he spent the night in the hotel, we went back, got the kids and went home that day. And of course, my spirit, you know, when you're raw, as raw can be, um, of course, we get the five kids and there's lots of noise and I just go up to bed and I'm just like broke and not knowing what's going to happen. And um, first of all, I hated disappointing him. He's the love of my life and I disappointed him, but I knew I couldn't deal with the stuff anymore and he came up to our bedroom I'm laying in bed and at this point I'm mad you know how that goes and I'm just like you know I know I love you with all my heart but you just you know my heart was like stay away because I'm hurt I'm hurting right now and he comes up and I'm laying in bed and he gets on his knees and he says I love you so much and I want you to forgive me would you please forgive me I want our marriage to work and I want it to be right and I'll do anything. And he's never said that. That whole time he had never said that. From that moment on, he did everything to make it right. Everything. Our, our, our instantaneously, it changed in our marriage. And we'll go in to talk about how we kind of got to this 
point of forgiveness. But the thing that really happened and God really showed us through this is the for husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her. From that moment forward, the love that he had for me, he loved me deeply. But the love that he showed me drastically changed. He talked with me um, instead of like it. I mean, John is a born leader. John, a man is made to conquer and to, to, to win. And, but from that moment forward, everything changed with us. How he spoke to me, how he treated me, what he said about me, it changed instantaneously because John was obedient to the Lord and his heart changed immediately. It was a heartbreaking experience. Instead of blaming her like I had for not keeping the finances faithfully or not talking to me or not, not doing, you know, I would say, you're not doing right with it. You're, you're, you're doing, I would just blame her thinking that by criticizing her, I yeah. could get the right thing out of her. Never seeing that it was me, yeah. that I was not leading right, that I was using fear and intimidation and tactics to try to get her to do something rather than walking in my role. And when I asked the Lord to show me my heart, it's a dangerous prayer because you think when he shows you your heart that you'll just go, oh, I got a couple of things to mess with here. You know what we want? We want a tweak. And God has to crush your pride. And that's a hard thing. It's a hard thing. And it broke my heart to this day. When we talk about this still, can you see the tenderness in the two of us? What I did to my wife, I still to this day, I know I'm forgiven, but I'm still tender in my heart of what I did to my wife. And I didn't even know I was doing it. And the Lord showed me. If you want to fill in the blank on the first ones, Paul's advice to husbands, not men and women, but husbands and wives. Husbands, love your wife like Jesus loves the church. It's Ephesians chapter 5, 25. Husbands, love your wives. Yeah just as Christ loved the church and he gave up his life for her. To love your wife this way. Listen to what I'm about to say to you. To love your wife like Jesus loves you is not in your heart naturally. Yeah. You do not have this in you. You cannot conjure it up. You cannot somehow get in a romantic mood or a nice mood and then suddenly it'll flow from your heart. <laughs> in our heart is love but not unconditional love. The love that Jesus has for you and me says, I love you even if you reject me. I love you when you do wrong. I love you even if you don't know that I love you and I will always love you yes. and nothing will come between that love yeah. that I have for you. I love you so much that I will take responsibility yeah. for what's broken in our relationship. Listen to me. Jesus didn't sin. We sinned. Yeah. Jesus didn't look at us and say, get your act together and then come here and I will fix and take you the rest of the way. He chose you on your worst day, at the worst time, in your greatest betrayal. And he loved you then the exact same way he loves you now that you've given your heart to him. He loves you unconditionally, without end. And the Bible tells us nothing can separate us from the love of God. And that's the love that a man is challenged to love his wife with. Can wow. you do it without Jesus? No. No way. 
Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Let me say this to you. To give this love, you've got to experience this love. How many of you have been with me for years where I tell you, you must go this way before you can ever go this way? If you're going to love your wife, you start here and you experience God's unconditional love in your heart. Because if you don't get it in your heart, if you don't experience it, if you don't know what it is, you don't have a definition or an understanding. You can have good intentions. Every one of you who gets married has good intentions. Good intentions pave the road to a bad marriage. You must experience this love. And by the way, you don't experience it one time and then now you have it forever. If you're not experiencing it every day, you can't love well every day. Want to be a good husband? Listen to me. Want to be a good... Want to never have to read another book? Listen to another message? Sit through the pastors weeping and crying over their story. (laughs) Uncomfortable. Want to never have to experience that again? Do this one thing. Fall passionately madly head over heels in love with Jesus yes and experience that every day as a man of God experience it every day and then when the stuff comes your way Jesus said it's impossible for offenses not to come our way but it does not mean you have to pick them up and go, oh you cute little offense come here get in my heart you don't have to do that you can they may come your way but you do not have to adopt them you can push them away you can walk right through that and you can love your wife yeah. this way. And for those who think, if she would just submit, then I could love her that way. She cannot submit until you love her that way. I got more email two weeks ago when I made the statement. I just got down there and walked amongst you. And I started talking about that the hardest thing we have to counsel is when a couple comes in and a woman has been so wounded. And we have to tell her, listen... In order for it to work, you've got to be willing to open your heart back up to your husband. And the problem is, the man sits there and goes, yes, that is the problem. Your heart is hard. It's cold towards me. Sir, what you do not get is that she cannot be in that place any longer unless you learn to love her this way. Because survival dictates she must close her heart if you're going to stab it with every third word. Or every second action. This is completely symbiotic. But in my mind, who goes first? The man is called to the role of leadership. And Jesus is our example. Jesus did not say, get your stuff together and then come see me. Jesus left heaven, picked up all of our mistakes and sin, put it on his back, took it to the cross, gave his life for it. Thereby, he took responsibility for our stuff. He didn't do it. We did it, but he decided to take responsibility for it. And if we're to love our wives like Christ loved the church, you have to be willing to take responsibility for the stuff that's wrong in your marriage. Still love me now? Because if you think this is easy... Think again. ah. (laughs) Sorry, I took off preaching there. Where do you want to go? You want to say anything about that? Yeah, I just want to say when he, when that changed and he loved me like Christ loved the church, before that moment, my heart was hard and closed and I could submit like out here, but my heart didn't, couldn't be vulnerable to him. I couldn't open my heart to him. When that happened, it was so easy to allow him to lead and for me to follow. It was just a natural thing. I, um, I mean, 
it just was transform transformative. Um, I think the, where do you want to go from there? You want to go into wives? Yeah. Can I do the love thing real quick? Yes, please. So let me give you an example real quick. This helps me. First Corinthians 13 is called the love chapter. So let, let's, I just want to show you this. And if you've heard me teach on love before, I've done this. But in a marriage, guys, let me tell you what we're aiming at. Not guys, husbands. Let me tell you what we're aiming at. This is the description of what love is. And so all you need to do to see how this works out, wherever it says love, put the name of the person. So let me show you how this makes sense. Where it says love, we're going to put the name of Jesus. And you tell me if this is how Jesus loves you. Jesus loves us patiently, and Jesus is always kind to us. Yeah. Agreed? Always. Uh, Jesus is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Agreed? Jesus does not demand his own way. Jesus is not irritable. Jesus is not irritable. Jesus is not irritable. <laughs> and Jesus, look at this one. Jesus keeps no records of being wronged. Jesus never rejoices about injustice, but always rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Jesus never gives up on us. Jesus never loses faith on us. Jesus is always hopeful about us. Jesus always endures through every circumstance with us. It's so easy to read that. Back up. Go to the first part of the verse for me. John is patient and kind. John is never jealous or boastful or proud or rude to Chris. John does not demand his own way. John is never irritable. John is never irritable. John no longer keeps a record of who apologized last time. Of who said sorry. John never rejoices about injustice, but rejoices only when the truth wins out. John never gives up on Chris. John never loses faith in Chris. John is forever and always hopeful in Chris. John endures through every circumstance with Chris. Is this love naturally in your heart, yes or no? If you're really going to read it and do it, then you need to be honest with yourself. Here's what most of us do. The model was how our parents did it. And even if you had a great mom and dad, the model is not your great mom and dad. The model is how Jesus loves you and then how the church loves Jesus. And when I compare myself to that that's why my heart must be humble and I'll just say this to you any woman any wife who finds a husband who loves her this way the man will never have to say to her you need to submit to me God has put in the heart of your wife the ability to come underneath your leadership if you will love and protect her this way you will be the most attractive. You could be five foot seven and overweight. With a funky looking beard. 
wearing shoes that are way younger than you are, <laughs> but they're super duper comfortable. Yep. <laughs> and I'm the hottest guy that ever walked right. on the face of the earth with my wife because it's not how I dress or how I look. It's who I am on the inside that makes me irresistible to her when I love her that way. You understand what I'm saying? Okay. I'm going to transition and let my wife speak a little bit. So number two is wives submit yourselves to your husband. The, the scripture talks about your, your own husband. It doesn't say, hey, women, you know, we're very, I'm, I am um, a strong woman. I like it my way. I, I, I would rather lead um, sometimes because um, that's just kind of how I'm born. <laughs> um, but to submit to him is very easy. The Bible says, for wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. So if I'm submitting to the Lord, I'm submitting to him. And it's just an, it's, it's a... It's, it was easy when your heart, when my heart was open and I trusted him, my heart trusted him, I could easily, much more easily do that. Yeah. 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 It's true. Yeah. You said your husband's only. My husband's only. Submission is vulnerability. Yeah. Being right. vulnerable. Who likes to be vulnerable? Not me. <laughs> but I needed to be vulnerable to submit. Sometimes it's uncomfortable. And honestly, I mean, we do this together. We, he's not a bully like, hey, I'm going to have my way or, you know, that's it. I think there's only been two things that I, he, I really had. The Lord spoke to him. And I had to submit like, okay, God is speaking to him. And honestly, he was right about submitting to him. But we do marriage together. But somebody's got to lead. There's got to be somebody to lead. And God said he, that he's the leader and that I need to submit. And it's my joy to do that because he answers to the Lord for that. And I don't. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> but when I talked last week about unity... Probably the safest thing in that when we say submission, it, you misunderstand if you think that husband, then you make all the decision, your wife just has to get in line. There's a higher level that you yes. can aim for, which is, are we in agreement? Yeah. Can two people walk together yes. unless they're agreed to do so? We look for agreement, yeah. not on every single decision. No. It's not necessary, but on decisions, decisions. major yeah. decisions, decisions with children, decisions with yeah. what happens with the church, quite honestly. Uh, and the way that things go. Chris and I partner with each other, and I'm very reluctant to make a decision unless we're on board at the same time. Yeah. And we both hear from the Lord, this is what we're supposed to be doing. Yeah. yeah. I think, um, let, let me just throw this real quick. So Chris talks about submission, and I think that um, one of the cliches is that wives tend to think, okay, I'm supposed to honor you. When you act honorably, then I will honor you. So here's the problem with that, but I have to give you the double negative to show you the, the, the falseness of that statement. Um, husbands are called to love their wives. If your husband said to you, when you act lovable, then I will love you. You would say, if you can't love me right now as I am, I don't want your love. Your husband would say, if you cannot honor me, value me, respect me right now, even if I'm not that, if you can't do that, then I don't want it once I get my act together. We both choose to do this right now. That's what it means 
to mutually submit to each other. To give to each other. And the importance of this message is, listen to me, God intended this to be symbiotic. Both of them have to work together. Both, thank you for that, that overwhelming amen right there. You're like, the encouragement that I felt was just so huge. There's a scripture that I like to live by. It is Romans 12, 10. It says, love one another with brotherly love, with honor preferring one another. And that is in the Jubilee translation. Pretty yeah, cool. Yeah. Um, so I, I prefer John. I prefer him. If he calls, whatever I'm doing, I answer the phone. Usually. <laughs> if I see it, if I see it, he, he is my priority. If there's something going on, anything, I prefer him over anybody. The definition of preferring means to set or hold before or above other persons or things to give priority to, to like better. I prefer him. I like him better. I will move heaven and earth to prefer him over any, anyone because he is everything to me. And part of submitting is preferring him. When I, it, it took me a while to learn how to, he, like love is different. Like for me, how he shows me love is different. How I love him is I respect him. I, I talk to, uh, to our kids about him with the utmost respect. I tell our kids and our grandkids that he is the most wonderful thing and truly mean it. Sometimes I didn't mean it, but I still had to live by that because that's what the Bible says. I need to submit. I need to show preference to him. And it would, and honestly, living that way allowed our kids to, to, when we were going through all this stuff, nobody knew, no, nobody knew what was going on. I didn't, I didn't indulge our information to anybody because I knew someday that we would figure this out. And first of all, I didn't want anybody thinking of me any worse because we think of ourselves, but for sure, I wanted everybody to feel the same way and to think the same way about him. So with our kids, he was the hero, period. He was the man that when he came home from work, look, dad, he worked so hard for us. He worked so hard for our family. He does this because he loves us so much. So never did I go to my mom because one time I went to my mom when early, we were early married and she's just like, shut up. Do you know what a wonderful human being you're married to? Shut up and don't tell other people about your business. From that moment on, zip, it was nobody else's business to talk or say anything more. Yeah. Look what time it is. Yeah, we're, we're going to run out of time. Okay, the last one if you're filling in the blank, the necessity of forgiveness. Proverbs 17, 9. It's just a wonderful scripture. And Chris showed me this one this week. It's just, it's awesome. Love prospers. When a fault is forgiven, but dwelling on a fault separates close friends. Isn't it amazing how the Bible is a book of wisdom that gives us ways that we can move forward in life and not have to stay stuck? The power of forgiveness is everything. So here's really what we felt like the Lord wanted and what we want to bring to you today. I know that some of you are going to hear this message. You have a good marriage, so we're praying for you that it would be even stronger and grow deeper because we believe you don't just have a good marriage and then it's just static. We believe that like with your relationship with the Lord, your marriage can always get better. It can always increase. You can always find more intimacy and more depth 
and more love and joy in it. But we also wanted to speak to people today who might be struggling with hope. You've lost hope or hope is being challenged in your situation. You feel like if you really knew, Pastor, if you really knew, if you really understood, you'd realize how hopeless it is and, and, and just how far past being able to be fixed it is. And I think what we wanted to say to you, and, and Chris will talk about a definition of forgiveness. We wanted to say to you, we serve a God who makes a way when there seems to be no way. And in our marriage, we were at a place where literally it had come to the end. Either it changes or we have to walk away from it. And when we said to the Lord, you have to change things. And it began with me saying, show me my heart. The hope that came instantly, instantly, not a week later. Not two months later, instantly that night in that hotel room, we knew that God was with us and we could make it. We knew things had to change. I flipped on the radio that was next to the bed, and uh, the great theologian Al Green (laughs) was singing this song, Let's Stay Together. Whether times are good, bad, happy, sad, let's stay together. I know it's a secular song, but he's actually a reverend. He actually, he was a preacher before he started singing. And uh, he's known as the Reverend Al Green. And I think what what Al did was to sneak anointing into secular radio. Because even non-believers know when the presence of the Holy Spirit, they may not be able to identify it like we do, but they know, wow, that's really neat. I feel something in that. I knew coming across that night was the Lord speaking to us. You guys, let's stay together. And he is that cord that binds the two of you together. Forgiveness. So I want to close with the scripture, Isaiah 43, 19. For I'm about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Do not see it. I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. That's what our prayer is for you, that God will do something new and incredible for marriages that are struggling, for marriages that are good, that God will do something new and just freshen it up. Because if we change in a marriage, you change a family. If you change a family, you change a community. You change a community, you change a nation. You change a nation, you can change the world. And we just want to start with us. (laughs) We wanted to change a community. So thank you for giving us the opportunity to speak. Um, It really is genuine. It's taken a lot for us to be to where we are today, but God has done a wonderful thing. He always makes a way and he made a way for us. He'll make a way for me. for you. Let's pray. So Father, Lord, I want to pray for every marriage in this room. Marriages that are together right now, that are strong, That when we talk, you get it. You speak the language. You know. You've got your own story. You you realize the value, how precious your marriage is. Man, I pray over you a new anointing. Uh, Can you not perceive that God is doing a new thing right now? That he wants to take you to a higher level? That he wants to bring streams into places where it's not been fertile before? where it's or, Or where it's just grown weary and tired? The Lord wants to refresh even those marriages that are strong and prosperous. I pray over you, legacy, legacy marriage, where where your children and your children's children and even your friends and your other family will look and say, man, only God 
and you're able to witness to the power of God. But we also desperately, desperately want to pray for people who feel like there's no hope, our very small hope. I want to tell you that our God is the God of hope, that he called Abraham to hope against hopelessness, to believe even when it looks like it's dead. We serve the God who can resurrect the dead. We've had staff, staff even currently, who have gone through even divorce and the Lord has brought things back together. And perhaps you've had a failure, maybe two, maybe three, whatever. And you find yourself today thinking, never again or it's going to happen again. I speak to you right now, this is the day of salvation. This is the day where everything changes. This is the day where the Lord does a new thing. And never again, never again, you are called to hope. And these things are possible. And our God makes a way where there seems to be no way. And I would ask that you would start with the very basic words of, God, we need you. Even if you've said it a thousand times before, God, we need you. But pray this, God, show me my heart. God, change me. Instead of praying, change my partner. God, change me. Help me, God. Let me experience your love so I know how to love. Let me experience a deep relationship with you so that I know how to give that to my spouse.